0: I've seen things people wouldn't believe. Maybe
1: hey, I don't care. Uh, have a drink. All the gin joints in all the towns
0: in all the world. She walks into mine. It didn't do it.
2: Why not? All
0: the things been wrong from
1: the beginning.
2: I feel dirty. Is there anything I can do? Please, Dix. Can't you relax for a second? My name
1: is Nep. Walter Neff. I was thinking about that dame upstairs and the way she had looked at me. He's looking at you, kid. Yesterday.
0: today. This would have meant so much to us.
1: What
3: can I tell you, kid? You're right. When you're right, you're right. Welcome to the Speakeasy Noir Cast, a podcast discussing film noirs of yesterday and neo noirs of today. Each week, we're going to deliver a discussion of our analysis of classic noir films, and occasionally we'll interview up and coming directors and writers of new neo noir films. All mixed in with our unintelligible banter. Your hosts for the show, Jason D. Morris and Carly Street. Hey, Carly. What's going on?
2: Yo yo, home slice.
3: <laughs> I love that uh urban uh talk come from the UK. You guys have your I'm own trying set to of uh, rules. Yeah, right?
2: I'm trying to be a gangster down with kids.
3: You guys got your own little set of rules there of uh of gangster talk. I, I remember that short film you did, uh the intruder with the uh the kids on the street corner and messing with the uh the war vet and stuff. The <laughs> it's chaps. always interesting. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh well, folks, uh tonight we've got a special guest for you. Um we don't do this very often, but when we do, it's always somebody that we respect and we love their work of. And this gentleman is no different in that department. He's an AFI graduate. He's an award-winning filmmaker based out of Los Angeles. He's got a BA in English and film and a master's in directing from the prestigious AFI. Uh, his two uh first short films, uh The Front Man and The Law Man, both won top honors before uh taking on the task of depicting an american murderer carly and i would like to welcome our guest tonight whose name i'm certain to butcher um as did uh, the academy of television uh matthew gentile did i get that right
1: uh gentile 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 okay I, I i'm jewish so i can't be a gentile uh <laughs> but yes gentile yeah, it's right. italian it's a tricky one
3: though so. oh it's italian okay so all right jewish italian
2: Jason that? was just trying to say gin
3: gen, <laughs> i think yeah, that's Car- what it was yeah
1: because
3: he's a huge gen fan so uh, uh,
1: my dad's italian catholic my mom's russian jewish so i i uh oh. gentile though so my father's last name
3: uh nice so yeah oh you got a whole mix there going on that's pretty cool
1: i'm a mutt. yeah, yeah and you're from new york right from brooklyn new york yes
3: brooklyn oh man all right very cool i haven't made it out to new york yet but my wife has and she absolutely loves it and i can't wait to get out there
1: it's um, fun it's funny i go back All i live in los angeles now i have for now almost a decade but right yeah I, uh, I grew up there and yeah it's it's a brooklyn's a great i grew up in brooklyn heights it's a great place
3: very cool man right very now. cool now, now, in between uh, the differences between um, L.A. and Brooklyn, uh, what, what's the, what do you love more? Because L.A. is kind of like its own world, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I moved
1: out to Los Angeles to go to film school. Uh, went that, where I went to A5. By the way, thank you for that very nice uh, bio. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, that was a very nice introduction. Um, you know, so I, yeah, I moved out to Los Angeles to go to film school um at first it was kind of hard to gauge the city cause i went the school i went to afi was so <laughs> intense and all-consuming that mm. i wasn't really able and it was a great experience but i just wasn't able to really experience the city i couldn't make it to the beach for three years uh, and everyone always talks about the beach in los oh angeles my God. <laughs> um so you know once i started to really get to know the city i la is a great place i mean it, it has a lot of layers to it and I find that the longer you live in LA, the more it reveals itself to you. Like there's a lot of cool spots and just different parts of it. It's almost like a series of towns connected by highways more than. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Whereas New York is like a beating pulse all the time, you know, everything's there. Right. Um, And I love, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to both, but uh, you know, I'm in LA for now because that's where, that's where the business is, you know?
3: Right, right. Now, um, when you go back to uh, New York, do you get to partake in any filmmaking experiences out there? Are you ever thinking about setting something up in, in New York or uh, what are you just solely just pushing and pushing for, you know, the L.A. adventure? Because a lot of people these days are like, you don't have to be in L.A. to do this. But I mean, I do think that there is some credibility to being in L.A., of course.
1: Yeah, it's a good question, you know, I mean, because the reality is now, I think, especially since COVID and the pandemic, you really can do business anywhere because so many mm-hmm. meetings are happening virtually. You know, it's, it has changed, right? Say, as opposed to, say, when I first started. Um, but, you know, the the beauty and the danger of, and the hard part about film is there really is no one way to, you know, build a career. There are multiple, sure. you know. Um and where I came from, New York, is has a pretty good. It's a great film scene. You know, it's a very different film scene, but it's much more of a. You know, it's much more of an independent film scene rather than out here, which is more of a studio-driven film scene. Um, but they're just different, you know. And there are a lot of great filmmakers that live in New York and live all around the world. You know, once you're at a certain point in your career, you can kind of live anywhere they say. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think there's directors who live in london or you know colin travaro lives in vermont right i heard people kind of live anywhere they want to it's at a certain point but you know for me going to film school at afi that's really my tie you know because my whole team that did american murder pretty much came from afi my cinematographer my editors you know um a lot of the people that were kind of on my, and even like crew members, you know, camera operator, visual effects, you know, uh, That's artists. so cool. So, yeah. it's it really
2: was, nice that you've connected, like connected with them and then moved forward with them. That's so
1: nice to hear. Yeah, it is pretty great. You know, and, and I, before I went to film school, uh, I worked at a talent agency, William Morris Endeavor, and I actually worked there in New York, but I made so many LA contacts from there that like, you know, I've had, I have kind of a generation of people that in the last decade or so, we've kind of all come up together, you know, and it's been cool to see where people's careers go and, and all that. But yeah, LA is a great place to be. Um, you know, and I think certainly when you're starting out as a filmmaker, it is good to have a presence there, but that's not a, uh, that's not a one size fits all statement. You know, it's, there's a lot of, like I said, the lot of great filmmakers who really never, I think the Coen brothers never came to LA. Right.
0: <laughs> or, you
3: know, right. Yeah. I um, mean, you know, it's, it's definitely one of those things where, I think that the question gets tired, but everybody has such a drastically different experience of how they break into the industry or how they get started or whatever those are working on that it, it really, it's eye opening, you know, to see everybody's different paths. So as often as you hear that sort of question or that, you know, question at the end of the conversation, which is what, what are you doing next? You know, it's like, those questions like really i mean have to be asked and it's it's fascinating to to hear everybody's journey honestly i mean coming from as a filmmaker myself it's like you know i I just think it's it's part of the fun you know really seeing how people make it to where they are and uh with american murder i mean this has got to be a pretty cool story that we're going to get into um later on but but first before we do um, we do have a special drink for tonight, and this is the first time I've done this, and I've did this just for you, Matthew. Right?
2: <laughs> oh God, um, brace yourself, Matthew. I love it. A skinny pig.
3: <laughs> I love it. All right, and I've never done this before, but I created my own drink for our film tonight. Wow. You know, you're going, we're,
2: going to, we're now liable if somebody drinks too much and kills himself. Well done, Jason.
3: <laughs> they, they might get a, an alcohol overload, sugar rush. That might be about it. But <laughs> I don't think anybody's gonna gonna die from this one. It's, it's well, we're good. this
2: is on tape. This is what we're going to play when we have a Netflix documentary about
3: this. Right, okay. or in the courtroom when they're Yeah. <laughs> yep,
2: yep. All
3: right, so I kept it simple. This, this drink is going to be called The American Murderer. I tried to go with something like The Con Man or something like that, but there's already a drink, so uh, I felt like uh, the title of your film was pretty unique, um, and so we just stuck with that. The American Murderer, all right? All right. So what's in this drink, I don't know what it is that you like to drink, Matthew, but I do know that... In the film, Jason is seen multiple times downing some shots of vodka.
0: Yes,
2: that's true. So much vodka.
3: (laughs) So I'm not sure if that was a Jason Brown staple or if that's something you came up with just script writing or if that's maybe your choice of drink or whatever it is. But uh, our drink for tonight is based on vodka. All right. So we've got two ounces of Tito's vodka, three quarter ounces of orange juice, a half ounce of simple syrup, a half ounce of cream and a half ounce of God, uh, God, God, damn it. Huh, excuse me, language. Uh, I, I always you know, mess up uh, a title or somebody's name. <laughs> One half ounce of Godiva, Godiva, <laughs> chocolate liqueur. All right. Wow. <laughs> so this is you a treat. You don't know
2: what it's called. How are we supposed to well, make Well, I, I know what it is. And
1: that's the important thing. <laughs> I love this. This, this drink I feels very... Why cream in it? Geo, I don't know. <laughs> just, just let it run. Matthew, it, don't like let do him do this.
2: He's making you yeah, liable cream. as well by calling it the name of your film. Just so you know, you're going down with this ship.
1: <laughs> I know. Well, you know, I don't have the rights to do that. Uh, that's our distributor. We can so we uh, can retract that I'm later, sure later on if you am Sure, they'll they want it. commission on that merch.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure, it's completely not our fault. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's. I love it.
3: All right. How you make this drink is you fill a whiskey glass halfway with ice, pour in two ounces of vodka, three-quarter ounce of orange juice, half ounce of simple syrup, a half ounce of cream, and you stir the ingredients. Then you're going to top it with the chocolate liqueur. All right? So it's like a silky sweet but also a very strong kind of sipping drink. Um, And it would be more of like a dessert kind of thing. And the reason why I put this together like this is because Jason Brown just seems like a party animal uh in this film and it's he's he's super over the top and crazy and apparently enjoys life quite a bit but uh you know also seems to enjoy taking it (laughs) i don't know but uh we'll get into that in just a little bit folks but before we do we're gonna check out the trailer for matthew's film american murderer
1: This is our prime suspect, Jason Derrick Brown. Tough to say where he might be headed at this point. We should see what kind of trail this guy leaves us pretty soon. just not the Jason I know. He's a con man, Melanie. Plain and simple. I need to speak with Jason. My brother is dead. <laughs> diagnostic Idiot! Now I know you know Jason and I know he's been here recently We got a little opportunity 80 grand,
4: three days I'm gonna rob an armored truck, and I want you to help me That's above your pay grade He's done a no mommy
0: <laughs> You're never gonna find him You sure about that? I'm sure you'll figure something out
4: is there any part of that brain of yours that could just tell you to stop?
1: He won't get away with this. One man against a loaded gun. Tell me, where is your brother? <laughs> Do not lie to me.
2: Tell you that you know that.
0: How I look? Deadly? Good answer.
3: So, hey Carly, why don't we take a break and listen to an ad from one of our sponsors?
1: Have you ever found yourself looking at your Netflix homepage and wondering what to watch next? Or have you sat through a movie trailer and were still
4: on the fence about whether or not you wanted to see the film? Join me, Pete Mitchell. And join me, Ethan Hunt, on Films and Stuff, where we recap and review the latest movies and television shows available for you to watch anywhere.
1: We do the hard work of watching a ton of movies and shows so that we can help you figure out what's worth
4: watching. We give our recommendations about whether a film or show is worth watching or not.
1: New episodes of Films and Stuff are released every Monday and are available wherever you get your podcasts or at FilmsAndStuffPodcast.com. Subscribe now. Films and Stuff. There is no substitute.
3: All right, guys, we're back and we're going to keep talking about this film. All right, folks. That was the trailer for American Murderer. Uh, it's an upcoming American true crime drama film written and directed by Matthew Gentile. Gentile? Gentile. Did I get that right that time? <laughs> All right.
1: Third time's a charm.
3: Matthew Gentile. <laughs> in his feature directorial debut, it stars Tom Pell... I'm going to screw his name up, too. He's an amazing actor, though. Tom Pell...
2: Oh, for God's sake, please apologize in advance.
3: I try it. <laughs> Tom Pelfrey, is that how you pronounce it? That's right. Oh, great! Hi, right. see you, Carly. First time's a charm.
2: <laughs> Woohoo! A three series in. You got name right.
3: <laughs> and uh, Ryan Felipe. Did I get that name right?
1: That's a complicated one. Just, just take
3: it <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, right. It's Felipe. Felipe. All right. Um. Now this is this is an interesting film because it is based on a true story. Um, and it's a true story that happened quite a while ago. But it's also recently become um, back into mainstream media because of one particular um, aspect of this story. And that's that when this happened, this gentleman, uh, Jason Brown, ended up being on the FBI's top ten most wanted list. and just recently was, pulled off the list and, uh, replaced by someone else. Um, but before we get into all that, uh, Carly is going to do her famous in a nutshell synopsis. And now it's time for Carly's super famous in a nutshell synopsis.
2: most excitable chap in cinema with a hairstyle that encapsulates the millennium smirks and swindles his way into an exotic nightmare
3: <laughs> an exotic nightmare
1: <laughs> wow. did you
2: like that i there loved go. it
1: god there we go I, sh- I should have you doing my promotion <laughs>
2: <laughs> get me and tell you what, I'll sink you very fast. You'll have to take that. you have to have somebody in charge to take the microphone off me because I don't know when <laughs> to stop. As if you probably guess that. So I'll get yeah. everybody hyped up and I'll be like, Yeah, let's go, let's go and then I'll start giving spoilers left, right and centre. So as long as you've got somebody to go caught the mic, shut her up, (laughs) then yes, I'm there.
1: Well, you know, it's a tricky movie with spoilers because, you know, everyone who watches the trailer or sees reads an article about it will know that Jason Derrick Brown is still missing, you know. And if more people watch this movie, you know, as Ryan Phillippe said yesterday in our in our press interviews, more people watch this movie, we may catch them. Right. Uh, you know, and it's wild yeah. to think that, right? But uh, you know, it is a tough movie with spoilers, because it's called American Murderer and you know there's a murder. But you know, my feeling is always if you know everything about Jason Derek Brown, or if you know nothing about Jason Derrick Brown, which is where I assume most people in the world are, um, you know, I think you can you can enjoy it either way. Um, you know, spoilers or not. So, you know, I, I I try to avoid some spoilers, but at the end of the day, you know, sometimes they cannot be avoided. Anyways, that was a beautiful introduction. So, thank you.
2: Thank you. You're welcome. You are free to use that on anything that won't uh, give people heart attacks or kill people, because I'm not liable for that because I don't have any money. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Great. Always That's looking out for yourself, Carly.
2: Yeah, because you'd sell me under the river for, for, well, a bottle of gin.
3: Multiple rivers, if I can get away with it.
2: I know. <laughs> you'd cut the body parts up. Like, how much can we get for this? I know your game, Jason. I've known it for a long time.
3: Oh, fingers and toes, you know? Uh, there's there's lots of parts to sell, so.
2: They're worth nothing because I burnt my fingerprints off.
3: Oh, my gosh. They can't identify you then, even better.
2: That's it. I'll do it. Listen, I've been watching Making a Murderer. I'm basically a detective and a lawyer, so watch out.
3: I'll find this guy. <laughs> That's the thing with like true crime these days, right? Everybody feels like a detective in a way.
2: I do you feel very empowered. I feel like I need to go and get a little bored with String and be like, right, I've got the movie, shot by shot. Where is he? <laughs> I'm going to find him. Right.
3: And when you take a movie like American Murderer, That is uh, based on something that happened in two thousand four. This is a story that, if you're around and you remember this, like it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I know that story. It, 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 you know, um, what more could I get out of this film? Right? It's like it's the same thing. I have this argument with Carly about the movie Titanic, and my argument with that film is always like, I mean, you know, the boat sinks. What's the point in watching the movie, right? But it's a great love story. And, and and as you know, that's that's the reason why people love watching it, right? And Carly, of course, likes well, uh, Titanic Two, which we won't talk about. But
1: <laughs> I one on the subject of Titanic, oh yeah, that was I didn't know there was Titanic. On the subject of Titanic, though, even though I know we're here to talk about noir, so of course we start off by talking about the lead noirish <laughs> film ever, Titanic. Um, Welcome which to I the love, podcast, love, <laughs> by the way. Um, you know, the funny thing about Titanic is, and me and my producer, Kevin Mattis, that we talked about this, that no matter what happens, every time I watch Titanic, uh, when it starts, if it's on TV or something, I pick it up like 20 minutes or whatever. That moment when the, you know, the Celine Dion song comes, right? And they're holding each other over the water, doing their fucking thing, right? <laughs> and the camera swirls them in the sunlight, right? And it's the most ridiculous right. thing ever, but it's beautiful and it works, even though it's cheesy and it's great. Right. You watch it and I every time forget the ship is going to sink. <laughs> I do. I'm so swept. And I'm like, oh, things are so great for these two. And then I'll, I'll, I'm like, oh my God, that's right. The boat's going to hit <laughs> the iceberg. So fuck. And, and that just speaks to what a good filmmaker and screenwriter James Cameron is because right. he really knows how to, I mean, I'm personally more of a big, I mean, I love a lot of his movies. I love pretty much all his movies. I actually think the guy kind of doesn't miss. Mm-hmm. He's one of those rare filmmakers, but I love his you know, like Terminator 1, Terminator 2 is more my thing mm-hmm. than the later stuff. But all of his films are so immersive. They really just hook you yeah. along the way. And he knows how to do that. And that's why, you know, that's why I think he's, you know, his movies do so well, because he knows how to immerse an audience. And
3: Yeah, absolutely. Anyways.
1: Yeah. That's why I think t- <laughs> I forget the Titanic's is going to sink every time I watch it. Yeah, every time.
3: And, and you know what, you're right because like even when I'm watching it, um which is not often these days, but you know, uh 20 years ago or whatever, it was like everywhere. Um and uh it, it is one of those things where you don't even you really don't even think about the boat sinking. But it's like one of those right. like going into it like I always had that weird sort of like mentality like but I know what's going to happen, <laughs> you know. It's just the uh, the bitchiness in me.
2: <laughs> about war films as well, couldn't you though? Because sure. a lot, a majority of war films, you know, either for example, I'm not saying Pearl Harbor is a good film, but for example, you know, at some point, what's right. going to happen? And right. with with various of the war films, you know what's coming, but you again, like you said, because you're so sort of like immersed in the characters or that particular small fraction of story, mm-hmm. when the big stuff hits that you know is going to happen, it's like whoa. Hold on a second. Right. I can't believe that this that, that this is erupting around these characters.
3: Right, and and I think that to segue into American Murder, that's kind of what you've done here, Matthew. Is you told this story in an interesting way, which I know Carly will appreciate because she uh, loves flashbacks, and the way oh my God, yes, the way that you've told this story, um, utilizing. Almost, I mean, you're really time traveling through the entire movie, right? You go back and forth um, on many different levels and it never gets confusing. And I got to give you some major no. props for that because when filmmakers do that, generally it, it's, uh, it really confuses you and you, you kind of don't know where you're at, you know, and obviously you got the aids of, um, of, you know, superimposed titles and whatnot to kind of help them. But I didn't feel like I needed that in your movie, even though that some of them are there. It's like I, I really did not feel like I needed that, and I thought you did a tremendous job um, yeah, telling it's like the story. A natural in transition. Yeah, really, thank you yeah. so much. That is
2: such a that is such a big compliment as well, because all it Jason is. did for the first year was yell at me about flashbacks. <laughs> he has only let me keep flashbacks in one film. <laughs> And that's room 19. And that's only because he can't argue with me until it eventually gets like past the point of filming and to the editing suite. And that's when he's going to take them all out. So you've done really well.
1: Well, thank you. You know, it's um, first of all, it's a big compliment. So thank you. Um, You know, the fun thing about writing a screenplay uh i'm sure you guys have maybe heard this passage. michael Arn compares it to climbing a mountain blindfolded mm-hmm. um you know for me when i write i used to be big into outlining i'm not anymore i really now i just kind of my process is very chaotic and i just dive in i start
3: right that sounds just like carly yeah How could you I not like I'm the, because, I'm the planner well, and outline
1: you are
2: becoming my favorite person <laughs> ever very quickly
1: well, you know because I, it's it look i I understand structure, it's important, but I just find that if I outline for too long, I just will find reasons to not actually write. Yeah, you know, or you lose talk.
2: the essence of what you were trying to do originally.
1: Exactly. So, you know, for me, you know, with American Murder, the first drafts of the script, though, actually were quite linear. Mm. Um, and they weren't really, there weren't any flashbacks. They actually were all with Jason and with his point of view. So it was kind of like that year leading up to the murder and the robbery and the, the car heist and the climax. but that was it. Um, and it was a much leaner script. It was like 85 pages. And that was the script that was optioned by these two companies traveling picture show and GG films. Um, you know, and when it started to get into the process where I had optioned it and we were getting ready to take it, you know, we were trying to get into the place where you could take it to actors. You know, I, I developed it for about a year with these people and these producers were really valuable to me because they ultimately, you know, it was my first time really writing a script and getting notes, trying to get feedback. And it was the one producer in particular on the team, Kevin Massa, who said to me, he was like, you know, if you want to go like, he, cause he noticed I was a little afraid of time jumps and flashbacks. Mm-hmm. He was like, I was like, yeah, I'd like to show this part from his childhood, but I, you know, I don't know. I don't want to do a cheesy, lame lifetime flashback, right? You know, or I was like, you know, I want to show this t- incident that happened with his sister, but mm, I don't know. Like, I want to keep the the train moving. And he was like, why are you afraid of going back? Just go back. People do it all the time, you know. People, you know, and especially you know today, audiences have become so sophisticated. Yeah. And you know, we talk about film noir. You know, I mean, I think the you know. Arguably the quintessential film noir, certainly the first of its kind. One of my all time favorite movies, Double Indemnity, opens with that incredible, like, end medius race opening, right? And right. Like, the whole thing is told in flashbacks. Yeah. Right. So, and now since 1944, audiences have become like used to just going back, and forth, and zip, sideways.
3: Your your film relies so heavily on it. But again, you did such a great job in the telling of it that it really felt seamless. Um, and, um, it's one of the very few instances that I can
1: recall, um, that does it so well. Um, well, thank you for saying that. You know, I think part of what it is, you know, if I, you know, can speak to that, it's really treating the audience like they're smart. I think that's kind of the important thing, right? Because a lot of, when I get frustrated watching a movie, it's because a movie's like over explaining stuff to me. Like you know, and, and by the way, when I wrote some of the first, when I first was trying the flashbacks, I would even write in the script very in like big, bold letters. I was so concerned that they'd get confused. I'd be like, this is a flashback, you know. Oh like, my God, I that. that. And my producers even said to me and other people would read it were like, okay, I get it. You just go back. We'll figure it out. You know, because the audience can put two and two. That's a Billy Wilder quote where he says, let the audience add two plus two and they'll love you forever. Right. Right. You know. Do you it's know like, what?
2: That is so refreshing to hear because everybody, for years, I don't know what your experience was and what Jason's was, but for years I got, um, no, you're making it too complicated. People won't get it. Yeah, but I can't spoon feed people because that's when it becomes stupid and unnatural and ridiculous. And for years it was just such a, until I met Jason, to be honest, it was till it's such a battle of just not spoon feeding people. Like I'm, I'm watching things. I get it. How to how do you not get it? Why are you assuming that the mass market is stupid? So it's so nice to hear a filmmaker that's like, actually, people can no, get it. I mean, and if they don't audience, get it, they don't get it. But most people will.
1: Right. Yeah, and audiences, they're smart. You know, they are they're really sophisticated. They, you know, because again, what they're watching today, the series, the movies, the you know, it's they've progr- it's come a long way. And so Yeah, you know, I think that, look, you always... Transitions have to be guided, right, and clear, and cohesive, and all of that. But at the end of the day, ultimately, you you trust that the audience is going to put two and two together, you guide them as best as you can, but you could take them places I think they don't expect, because they want to be, you know, they want to be played with, they want to, you know, they want to put two and two together, they want to solve the mystery. So, hey, Carly, why don't
3: we take a break and listen to an ad from one of our sponsors?
4: Picture it. It's 2004. You just put on your orange Fanta flavored lip smackers, zipped up your low rise jeans and are about to ask your mom for a ride to the movie theater to go watch a Cinderella story. I'm Mo. And I'm Christina, and we are the hosts of Movies That Raised Us, a late 90s and 2000s podcast that dives into your favorite nostalgic movies. We're talking Princess Diaries, The Click, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. We're sick of great movies being ripped to shreds by critics. I firmly believe that Uptown Girls deserves more than a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. And Jamie Lee Curtis deserved a Daytime Emmy for her Activia commercial. We love movies that we can watch over and over again. They make us laugh, make us want to travel the world, and make us grateful that we didn't have a coach dad a la Troy Bolton. So join us for our virtual sleepover every Wednesday where we deep dive into montages, unrealistic expectations, chunky highlights, role models, and the movies that raised us.
3: So far, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. And now back to the show.
1: I think what's fun about American Bird, what I was trying to fashion it after, was, you know, films that really unfold in front of you. A lot of movies nowadays, you go to them and like you know it's called something very simple right Mm -hmm. and it's what it is you know what you're getting for your ticket right and so you walk into the theater feeling a little cheated because you're like okay so i watched car heist five and it was just a car heist and there wasn't really much to it and i kind of knew at the end they'd get caught right Right. (laughs) or you know the good guy would get away and the bad guy would go down i'm doing this to not name any to not out any are out right now um but you know that's kind of what they do right and you know, I think part of the fun of films, like you look at like the movie, one of the movies that made me want to be a filmmaker was Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm not alone in saying that, like every filmmaker my age probably you know, more <laughs> or less would say something like that. Like, you know, Pulp Fiction, Tarantino and Kubrick. But, you know, watching Pulp Fiction for the first time, you watch that movie, and you have no clue where it's going you're like what is this movie going to what journey is this going to take me on right and that's something i think tarantino proved when he made that movie back in the early 90s that like you can really break the rules you can go places but you have to know why you're doing it and you have to be careful about why you're doing it because i kind of try to live by two rules don't bore an audience and don't confuse them Mm -hmm. and you know with an american and if you are going to confuse them because you never want to bore them. You are going to really confuse them. You have to kind of know why you're confusing <laughs> right. them, you know. And uh, it's an interesting thing, you know. But yeah, that with American Murder, we were really trying to, you know, take you on this journey with Jason and show you this this exotic nightmare, as Carly said. Um, <laughs> and I'd really bring you through that world and see the world through your eyes. So that's, you know, we had to yeah. kind of take you around in many different directions.
3: I think that's why Carly and I haven't quite made it in the industry is because we love confusing people.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we, confuse, we
2: confuse each other. That's the problem. We start off with it like we know where we're going and then we just confuse each other and end up confusing the audience even more. Yeah,
3: I um, really got to dig in. It. and
2: uh, we've, we've, You know, we've not done too bad. I think there's a lot of people thinking though, there's a lot of people where they'll watch a film and go, Oh, I wish the engine had been this. I saw this coming. Like you said, if you treat them stupid, they can come up with a better ending. And then they think, why am I watching
3: this? Absolutely.
2: So it's quite it's quite immersive the the film that you've done is it actually sets people off to go, I'm gonna explore more. I've seen this aspect. I want to learn more about this. It's almost like an investigation.
3: Mm-hmm. I want to yeah. time travel for exactly. a minute. I wanna go I wanna go back in time uh, to this concept short film that you made for american murderer i'm assuming this is okay to talk about yeah okay great uh because it was also just as engaging uh very well done and uh it starred jonathan groff which was really cool um he's a great actor as well um so you shot this concept trailer uh can you tell us a little bit about that like where did like like how did you come about wanting to do that was that a part of the afi yeah, uh, sort of venture, or is this like separate it after? Was,
1: it was not. I'll give you the quick American Murder origin story that will lead into the proof of concept. that really okay? Okay, cool. More. So, to give you some background, before when I was fourteen, uh, before I wanted to be a filmmaker, I wanted to be an FBI agent. Um, so I basically wanted to be Ryan's character. In the wow! And uh, I used to go on the FBI's mo- you know .dot gov website. And I'd look at the top ten fugitives to see if you know. I don't know, maybe young juvenile Matthew could help them catch a, catch a fugitive. Um, and, you know, when you looked at this list of fugitives at the time, it was really a sea of mean, menacing faces. Like you had a Solomon Lott and a whitey bulger and like really you know, criminal mastermind geniuses, right, who were really elusive to the feds. And then on this giant list, you had a guy with spiky blonde hair, blue eyes, a charismatic con man surfer dude who just didn't seem from the picture alone to, to fit the profile. So I was immediately struck by this guy's face, um, you know, by Jason's face and his look and the red hoodie and the blue background, like the image just stayed in my mind, you know? Um, so cut to many years later, um, I'm graduating film school at the AFI. I have frontman and law behind me. I'm trying to figure out, you know, what is my first feature? What does that look like? and all of a sudden I you know I'm one day drawing out storyboards um, for you know a, a, a shoot I was doing and I had a true crime documentary on in the background and then all of a sudden Jason Derrick Brown's face popped on the television and I saw it and immediately I remembered seeing it when I was 14 years old wanting to be an FBI agent it just came oh running gosh. back that's
2: me. like fate
1: so, you know, and it, it does, it was like fate because I, you know, has everyone was asking me, what's your first feature, Matthew? What's your first feature? What's it going to be? What does it look like? And I really didn't have an answer. And then all of a sudden the picture came and I turned up the volume and I started to watch it and I saw. I saw myself, I said to myself, like, this would be a really cool movie. Like, here's, you know, the documentary that was on was American Greed. And they were really, they were interviewing, like, Lance Leising, the you know, who Ryan plays. They were interviewing people who knew him, people who loved him. And I saw right away this guy was fascinating because not only was he this, like, had this kind of look, right, of like a frat boy or, you know, <laughs> a certain kind of guy um, who I usually probably would avoid. But, um, you know, he he, he had this... Clear magnetism, magnetic personality, and a thing that drew people in. Um, but he meant so many different things to so many different people. Like to, you know, this one woman, he was like, he was a lover, right? To another person, he was a scoundrel, right? To another to Lance Lysing's character, he was like a guy, just an idiot who got lucky, right? And to some people, he was like a con man who was three steps ahead. So he always kind of had these different he meant so many different things. I just became really fascinated by the story. So I decided to have a go at it and write the script, you know, on spec, meaning on my own time and on my own dime, just figure out how to do it. And at the time, you know, to pay my bills, I was working as a script reader. Um, So, you know, I kind of had this dual education going where I'd be reading scripts for this company and, you know, giving the writers notes and feedback, and then I'd be working on my own. Right. And like I was splitting my day between those and um, you know, all while putting my short films out there and trying to get them seen and, you know, all of that. So I was really, you know, hustling to get, to get this movie off the ground. And as I was struggling to get American Murderer read by people, um, the one thing I did have was at the time, Jonathan Groff was interested in doing it and unofficially attached to it. Um, you know, he was like, he was really interested in the role. He, re- he had read my script and really responded to it. So we were, you know, I was trying to kick it around, but it was hard. I wasn't getting at the bites I hoped for or wanted. People weren't, people just weren't really reading it. And that's something for, you know, any aspiring screenwriters out there, you know, it's it can be hard to get your scripts read, Absolutely. you know, because in this industry, and I know it's because I worked at a talent agency before I went to AFI, you know, every executive, every person, every agent, every agent's assistant even, right, has like 10 scripts they have to mm-hmm. read that weekend. So you kind of got to fight your way through. Yeah, they're only going to find one years. reason to
3: put it down and, and move on
1: to get read. Yeah. Right. So it's just, a, it's a complex, tricky thing, right? And, um, you know, getting your work out there. And so I met at a couple of companies and I was very lucky that one guy came up to me when I met at a company, I met with th- these three executives and they were like, "This sounds really cool. Yeah. You know, send us it when you're ready. And the guy, I was walking in the elevator and the guy runs up to me, he says, Hey man, look, uh, I like you and I like, I think you're talented, but I gotta tell you, they're not going to read your script. Like they're not that excited about it. Um, and I was like, okay Uh, well thanks and he was like no no look I'm telling you here's what you gotta do you gotta go make a proof of concept short of the script you gotta shoot one scene from it to show people what it looks like and I was like you know thanks but I did just make two shorts that played all these festivals won all these awards why do I need to make another short if I have the short the script and Jonathan attached and he was like well you've proven that you can direct the shorts show that but you haven't shown that you can direct this And you need to show that. And the guy was 10 million thousand percent right. Like, you know, he was totally, completely accurate. And uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, wow. And I walked out of that building saying to myself, I need to go make a proof of concept short. So I call up Jonathan and I'm like, hey, you know, um, would you do proof of concept short with me? Uh, you know, to, and he was like, that sounds cool. What's a proof of concept short? I'm like, you know, a proof of concept short is you know, this movie whiplash did it and, none of them, you know, and, and sling blade and all of them, you know, it's yeah. a way, it's a tool to get funding. And so he said, okay, great. And we, uh, you know, we went, we shot that one scene we did in a day, um, I think in like early 2018 and we went out, we shot it. And that came out right around the time that, uh, Jonathan's show Mindhunter was really taking mm-hmm. off and heating up. So at that point in time, a lot of people were very interested in seeing, uh, in, in reading the script. And I had a few different companies approach me and read the script and some of them wanted to do the script, but they didn't want me, Mm. um, to direct it. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted to kind of take my script and say, thanks friend, we'll take it from here. And I said no to those because I really wanted to direct it. I knew that that's why I'd written it. So I wasn't going to let that happen uh thank you it was a hard decision at the time even though it wasn't that much money but it was still money and at the time i was reading scripts so
3: well i mean (laughs) you know when you have (laughs) when you have something that's your baby you know what i mean i feel like sometimes i mean they must realize it but i feel like there's not a full realization about how that is just like taking your baby away and i I don't mean that figuratively it really feels that way so props yeah that's great happy for you
1: yeah you know at the time it looked like a hard decision but in retrospect it wasn't because then pretty shortly after it was like a few months of like what I call the dark night of the soul in <laughs> screenwriting. Um, then finally these two companies kind of came around at the same time. It was GG films and traveling picture show, Kevin Madison, Carissa Buffel, Gia Walsh. They kind of converged on me at the same time. Um, and they, you know, banded together and they said, Hey, let's, um, you know, let's do this. Let's really like, let's make this movie and you can direct it. And, uh, they, you know, thank God for those guys because they really stuck their necks out for me and raised the financing and, you know, got it so that I could do it, do the film, make it the way I wanted to. Right. Um, and you know, once it went through that process, but you know, to answer your question, I realized this was a very long way of answering it. That's great. Proof of concept short was really a calling card for the screenplay. Mm-hmm. That's ultimately what, it, what it was. Um, and then you know, when we did this, you've seen the movie and the short. So, you know, the way we did the scene kind of changed, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Like we didn't do it the same way, but that's because, you know, the script had evolved in that time. Because between the proof of concept and day one of principal photography, it was about two and a half, three years. Um, so <laughs> it had been a while, right. right? right. And, uh, the story had evolved and my style had evolved. So, you know, things had changed for sure. But, um, that was that proof of concept. It was definitely the first big, I guess what you would call a leap into the unknown, right? Cause we, didn't, I didn't know that that proof of concept would necessarily get the movie, you know, into the right in people's right. hands, which thankfully
3: it did. Well, I think the, the quality of it as well, I mean, helped a lot, but I mean, plenty of people shoot proof of concepts that go nowhere. So, Hey Carly, why don't we take a break and listen to an ad from one of our sponsors?
4: You're into netflix original films if you appreciate unpretentious movie reviews and if you're the kind of person who knows that despite our political differences we can unite over the love of a good movie or the abject loathing of a terrible one then we might just have the podcast for you I really thought we talked about not saying it like that like what? Okay, anyway, the podcast is called Watching Netflix Without You. And to listen, you can visit our website for a list of podcast players. slash subscribe. Series. Like what? I swear to God.
3: All right, guys, we're back, and we're going to keep talking about this film. You have a defining style, and I'm not even sure if maybe you know this, but uh, as I watched um, Lawman and Frontman and uh, this proof of concept, and I can see this very specific um, thing that you do, which is really interesting, not only the, the long, uh, floating tracking shots that you do, but you're very good at creating a world with depth, um, not only with utilizing the camera, but also with background action. Um, there's a few great shots where you see like in uh, front man with the um, he picks up the guitar and walks around. You see them, you know, the window out in the back and you see somebody out, you know, doing the pool work. Right. And it's very similar to the shot. um, Wow. With, um, it's been so
1: long since I've seen those. It's it's (laughs) really great.
3: It's really, it's, it's, it's really, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's a trademark or anything or whatever it is, but, or if it's intentional, but but it's really, I, I can see that, through line style of yours throughout each of these pieces that I've seen of yours already. Um, you know, with that shot and then you do something very similar okay. with the proof of, proof of concept where his sister's in the kitchen and she spills the bottle of wine. And then you see the SWAT team come in in the backyard, which is super subtle, but so effective. Yep. And it's it's just—it's really great, Um, and you know, it's to to be such a a young filmmaker with um you know this I I don't want to say small body of work because I know you've been at this for a long time but these pieces of quality work that you have and being able to see that um that elevated ability of directing um already in what you're doing is is just it's classy and it's it's just great to see
1: um, So thank you that's very very insanely kind yeah. to say well it's, it's the truth you know? You know? and I
3: think anybody that's really kind of paying attention to those would be out of their mind to deny you of being able to direct that movie
1: <laughs> uh, well yeah. you know I mean Can,
2: the thing is as well I don't even I'm not very technical and I, I'm not very good with, with stuff like that but even I could see that because Jason don't yell at me yeah but- You know, like in John, so you know how like John Wick, for example, creates a world within a scene, like the entire world of John Wick is like, it's always been there and it's real from the first film. And that's because every, to me, every scene is kind of whole, like there's there's, there's thousands of people in the background or there's one person, but everybody's immersed in that world. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like it so much. And I actually found that with your film. It was. It was. I felt like I was immersed in it because it was like a world within a scene, a world within a scene. Every two minutes, because the characters were kind of they were doing normal thing and things, and then you had other characters in the background out doing their things, like life.
3: And it didn't feel fake.
2: So that's the thing. it made it more natural. Right. No, not at all. It felt so natural and like fluid.
1: Well, I really appreciate you saying that. You know, because backgrounds hard. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's a hard thing to get right, and you know, fortunately for me. I'm lucky in, too, in many ways, but, uh, you know, on American Mur- I've been fortunate to have really great first assistant directors because they really, those those are the guys and women who really do the background, right? Um, you know, I mean, as a director, you're coordinating all of it, right? And you're designing the shots, but, you know, you need a great first AD to help you with that. And in my case, I had Evan Laihip, uh, who was the first AD in Utah. He was absolutely spectacular. You know, he's, he's younger than I am. And he was like, you know, running the set. Right. Yeah. And he, he was just a real, he's a prodigy first AD. Um, he, was, well, he was amazing. Congratulations. And, then, um, cause that's it, Jason, the work has been, yeah, this other guy named Jason Allen, he did all my other shorts, front man, law man. Um, and he was all, he was the first, that's the first, first AD I worked who was like a, on a professional level um dga and all that and he taught me a lot too um great guy and uh you know friend and yeah so now a first ad the director first ad relationship is actually arguably one of the most important on set you know you could you could argue it's a cinematographer you could argue it's the lead actor you could argue it's the actors of the day right whoever they are supporting or day players but um you know ultimately the director and first ad i mean that relationship and symbiosis and producers too but first ad is so key because they're the ones who are really helping you make your day and make sure you get everything you want and having a first ad who is on the side of the director uh, which is the case with evan and jason right because they're the ones telling you hey uh, you might not have time to get all those shots i know you have 12 shots planned but you're probably only going to get eight They're the ones who will tell you, but they're problem solvers. And that's what directing is 90% of the time. It is just problem solving. You know, it's like, okay, we, you know, we had six shots here, but we can't get, you know, there was a great talk with Jonah Hill about working with Martin Scorsese on the Wolf of Wall Street. And uh, it was on Howard Stern of all shows. And Howard Stern said, you know, why, why is he so good? Like, why is, why is Scorsese the best? And Jonah Hill said, the man constantly solves problems. Like he's a chess master. And he could solve problems in like two seconds. Like most people might take a minute or two minutes or three minutes. He can do it in like two seconds. It's like, nope, that will do that. Then we'll do, you know, okay, yeah, to shut the car door move that way. Go that way. All right, we'll put the camera here instead, you know? And because he's been doing this for so long, he's just able to solve so many problems. And I think that speaks to what you were talking about, camera movement and blocking and all that, you know, one exercise I did. And again, if this podcast has a big base of aspiring filmmakers, which I assume people listening to a film noir podcast are. You know, one, one, um, exercise I did at AFI, um, because my belief is, and, uh, you know, I think that, you know, there's often, I'm going to be unoriginal again, steal a quote from someone, but Ira Glass used to say that there is a, um, there is a gap. You, have you have your taste, right? Which is awesome. Your taste is Kurosawa, Billy Wilder, um, you know, Scorsese, whoever, right? And then there's where you are in your work, right? And your work Absolutely. is down here and your taste is up there. And there's a big gap, right. And so what Ira Glass says is the only way to close the gap, right? The only way to, to make that gap go away is to just do tons of work, right? Just, just be prolific because if you do a lot of work, you'll get better and you'll get better and you'll become more second nature to you and you'll just do it. And for me, one exercise I did that really helped me feel, because when I first came to AFI, I was terrified of the camera. <laughs> I was kind of, I kind of came from more of a theater background. I knew a lot about actors. I was more confident in that. And I was more confident with writing because I kind of, you know, I loved writing as a kid. I loved writing short stories and plays and putting them on. So the acting and the writing part didn't scare me as much, but camera, I was like such a rookie. Like I, I really knew, I knew nothing. Um, and what I felt was it was our teacher gave us this assignment called a single shot master. And you all could do this with your friends on a weekend where you would just literally take an iPhone, take a scene from a great movie, like say Chinatown, right? Get two actors and stage the scene and shoot it all in one take, no cuts, right? So you block and you shoot according to the camera. And the requirement of the class was to do one. But after I did one, it made me feel better that I just started doing more. And I started doing them once a week, then that became twice a week. And by the end of the school year, I think I did 100 and I would just keep sending them to this teacher. I'd be like, here you go, here you go, here you go. And he loved it. You know, I thought I was annoying him at one point, but he was like, nope, it's great. I had a Matthew Gentile film festival this weekend. <laughs> and by the end of that, you know, because in year one at AFI, you make three short films that nobody really sees. And they're kind of like a training grab for you. Like, you know, you're hitting your, you're, you're hitting balls in the batting cage, right? You're letting, you're, you're, you're getting them out. And then finally, you know, your thesis films, like one you make the next year and that's what you're, and I got to say the improvement from my first films in AFI were not very good, (laughs) if you saw them, you would be like, yeah, this guy could learn some things. Right. But the improvement from the first year to the second year was tremendous. And I can only attribute that to just constantly doing it again and again and again. And, uh, you know, and working with great people, you know, uh, you know, I'm fortunate that I have an amazing cinematographer, right. Um, you know, Robinson, who's like just my, you know, she's my partner in crime. I call her my work wife, you know, <laughs> she's, she's really, and she is brilliant and she can see what I'm going for and can bring me in and tell me when I'm like, you know, that no Matthew, I don't have a crane. I can't do that. Right. But you can figure out this way. So it's always that. But, and the other thing I think you're speaking to is, and this goes back to what this podcast is called is I'm very, very, very influenced by noir, you know, and I'm very influenced by old film, classic Hollywood. So for me, you know, my heroes, in addition to the ones I've talked about today, are like Kurosawa, Billy Wilder, you know, uh, filmmakers of the, you have Michael Curtiz, Howard Hawks, um, you know, filmmakers who worked in a system where, you know, you didn't, it wasn't about just shooting tons of coverage. Right. Um, and I don't think coverage is a dirty word. You know, I, I love Werner Herzog. Hey, yeah, it can, it
3: can save you, you know, so it's, I don't, yeah, I don't I'm, I'm not
1: against it. I'm never, I'm not against as a concept, you know, I think it's, I think, you know, most scenes do need some coverage, right? Sure. <laughs> but I think that, you know, there is an overdependence. they call it garbage dump directing sure. where it's like, okay, first shot, you know, watch shot, close up, close up, we're done, you know? And like the classic Hollywood directors were so good and keep in mind those guys, John Ford, all of them, like they shot so many movies, they were shooting three movies a year like three features a year. Now, the days, you know, if a director makes one movie every five or six years, it's like, oh my God, they're so prolific (laughs) (laughs) because of how hard it is to get movies made today. But like they were shooting, you know, these guys like John Ford, William, you know, William Wyler, even like they were just like constantly cranking them out. And that's why their craft was so outrageous, (laughs) you know, and disgustingly good. And, um, you know, so, but I study those a lot. And so in blocking and shooting, I really, I try to be economical. Um, and I kind of always, I do ask myself, what's the TCM way to do this? Me and my editor say that a lot. We'll be like, Oh, the TCM way is to stay in the master a little longer, you know, but, um, it's a balance, you know, it's always a balance and you're always learning and you're always studying from old masters and new masters. Right. Um, who inspire you, but yeah.
3: And you know, a lot of that I'm assuming for you, as with most filmmakers comes together in the editing room as well. I mean, you can plan as much as you can plan. Um, but, uh, Sometimes you see things in the editing room that can completely change the perspective. Um you know, I'm talking about like the junk uh filmmaking. Uh sometimes you know, you you've written a scene a certain way and then you approach it completely different in an editing room. Um did you happen right. to see any sort of uh opportunities like that uh when you got into the editing room with the American Murder?
1: Um yeah, you know, I mean there were definitely you know, I mean I think a good movie often when I hear about the process of how it was made, they say a good movie tends to evolve, right? Like very rarely, I haven't heard many stories where someone says like, I wrote the film. I shot it exactly as it was written. You know, nothing really changed on set. And then we got to the editing room and we just cut it, put it together, and we were done. Sure. You know, like, right. I talked to so many filmmakers. I don't think I've ever.
3: I'd be like, one that's, one. That would be an amazing story if you <laughs> heard be, that you know, one.
1: Yeah, that was
2: Oh, it, my God. Know. That's what we wanted for Dark Winter. <laughs> <laughs> right,
1: right. You know, yeah, no, film is a, that's what you want, right? Yeah. You, you know, Hitchcock famously shot his storyboards. And Absolutely. That was <laughs> nice, but. But, um, you know, film is a process of, for me at least, it's a process of discovery. Right. Um, you know, I, I planned this movie out very meticulously. I fortunately had a lot of time, you know, to figure out how to rob this bank. <laughs> and, you know, cause you know, we went to cast movie in March, 2020, we shot in December, um, of that year. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really know. in March of 2020, when my start date was, but I was acting like it was, you know, four weeks from then. Right. And so the finish line kept getting pushed away from me. But as that kept getting pushed, I just kept prepping good, I worked good. Really closely with my team, my cinematographer, my editors. Right. And we were like, we were mapping out every shot. We were storyboarding the whole thing. We were pre-visualizing. I mean, we were really, you know, getting this thing down to a T. Um, and so in doing that, like I had a real thorough plan of everything. However, you know, when we got to set, things change, you know, uh, you go and film a boat party on the water and the wind starts blowing you 40 miles per hour. So you can't go get that shot on the other boat because you only have one boat. Right. Um, or so how do you, how do you make that work? Right. And so it's always like that, or, you know, you had the nightclub scene written in your head that Tom sits down next to the girls, right and starts chatting with them and all your shots were planned around that. But then he comes in and he does this crazy thing where he puts his hands on the ceiling and talks to them the whole time. Right. And just starts riffing. And like there were versions of that scene, that were like 10 minutes long. So he just had so many good stuff, so much good stuff, you know, and I will one day probably do a longer cut with everything. Um, no, I won't cause actually I hate those. But <laughs> the point being that, you know, there was so much cool things and there was, you know, and it was constantly evolving and there would be, you know, And it was a tightly planned operation. But at the same time, we were letting things happen. You know, we were letting things go. And I think that's, you know, I asked each actor, because, you know, I was very lucky to get this cast on my first movie. Like, this is not a normal first-time feature. Not at all. Experience, you know. And I've had a lot, every press interview I've done has been, wow, what a cast, right? And that's a big compliment. But, you know, it's like it's they're saying it for a reason it's like it's not usual
0: yeah
3: well i mean um, a, 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 another thing to that though also is is like they should be saying what a script because the writing process was the script led got that, the cast. Right?
1: yeah well i appreciate that and you know they they the actors have been saying that i can't say that but they can. <laughs> uh, do you do you
2: know what i think is so amazing is um that oh you got jackie
0: yes she jackie uh, weaver she,
2: she, uh, um, she oh my god when i saw her straight away I, I just i went in blind and i I watched the film and i went no it's not and i had to literally pause the film to do my googling like i do and i thought it is because one of my my two favorite one of my two favorite recent films i should say is animal kingdom yeah. and parkland i love parkland oh. And the reason why I love Parkland is for her and James Badgdale. Their performances in that, oh my God, I'm so
4: impressed.
1: She's phenomenal. I mean, you know, and such a career that she's had. I mean, you know, she became famous in this era, right? Back with Animal Kingdom, which was an awesome movie, right? But she's been around for so long. I mean, this, you know, she's worked. My first discovery of Jackie Weaver were two films Stork. And uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock, the Peter Weir film. You know, so she was really a key figure in the Australian New wave I mean, she was like female Al Pacino over there. Um, yeah. You know, she really was this, you know, she, yeah. and she's been around for such a long time and has so many great experiences, The you know, doing theater and life stories. She's also... And I, even uh,
2: even now in in Yellowstone with Kevin Costner, like even yeah. even now everything is just like oh seen that love that seen that love that. And by the fantastic.
1: way, I say this with a complete honesty too. The coolest person, like the easiest to work with, the most like you know humble. You would never think you know that she was a two time Oscar nominated actress in a indie film. Like she just was so such a pleasure to work. with. That's cool. Um, I I loved every second of working with her. Um, you know, and yeah, I mean, to think these people would come together i mean it's it's pretty crazy, and um certainly, I felt very lucky and, and all of that that I got to work with her and all and all of them, all these actors really blew me away.
4: How's it going? My name is Anthony. And my name is Alvin. And we're the hosts of Before and After the Movies. What our podcast is, is a unique spin on the movie review podcast genre. Typically, you'll just hear a review of the movie. But what we actually do is meet up before we see the movie, give our predictions, talk about the movie in general, and some other things about the movie business. Then we go and see the movie. After watching the movie, we meet back up again, record a fresh review, post-show comparing predictions and talking about what we thought of the movie. So for you, it's a nice, seamless five-second transition. For us, it's a dirty five-hour workday, but we love every second of it, so check us out on every streaming platform, and here's a little taste of what we have to offer. It's time!
1: Okay, out of 10.
4: 3, 2, 1, 8.5. Family <laughs> Not a serious Sandler.
1: This is Goofy Sandler!
4: Chris O'Donnell. (laughs) What
1: the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) We'll see you guys in three, two, one.
3: You're listening to the Speakeasy Noir Cast, the show that brings you binge drinking with a side of noir, with your hosts, Carly Street and Jason D. Morris. I did a little bit of research on, on Jason Brown. Um, okay. it, cause I remember like that happening, but I wasn't very familiar with it. Right. And I see the, um, in the, in the movie, you, um, you, you put in there that he's expecting this to be like $300,000 that he's stealing. And it ends up only being $56,000. I couldn't find any information on that. Was that something that you just kind of added? Because it, it's a total motivator. Like, I totally get it at three thousand, you know, $300,000, like, what he's doing. Not that I agree right. with it, but it, it's, it's kind of, it's a very funny and deprecating moment in the movie when he opens that bag and he's just like, oh, crap, you know?
1: Right. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I believe... And it has been a while, so apologies to anyone out there in the real world who might be listening to this. Um, I believe an FBI agent, I think Lance Leising said in an interview that Jason was expecting there to be more money.
3: Uh, that was the
1: accounts that they got. Okay. Um, was that Jason thought it was going to be something like two or 300000 and it ended up being way less. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing you're talking about because, you know, in the script... Uh, when I, I had written that scene, when he sees the money for the first time, slight spoiler alert, um, you know, when he sees that money and he looked, I actually wrote it that he was laughing and kind of like high on adrenaline mm. from doing it. And Tom, you know, who I think is really just such an excellent actor, and a smart actor, kind of looked at me and he said, you know, uh, Matthew, I, I know it says here that I'm laughing, but I don't think I am. Mm. I think, aren't I disappointed? Like, I won a three hundred thousand. This is all I got, and I was just like, man, this guy is good. <laughs> <laughs> He's so dialed in. He totally knows. And I just said, yeah, yeah. okay. And I said, I was like, look, we could shoot it both ways, or we could just shoot it that way. And he was like, because he was very easily. very. He was like, oh, but no, it's your script, man. I'm not gonna, you know. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, I was like, look, I was like, I think that totally makes sense. Um, and you know, we talked. about... It's kind about of climbing.
2: the turning moment, isn't it? Like, I did all this for. No, well, not nothing, because yeah. it's not nothing, but in his head, it's like I did all this for nothing.
1: Yeah, you know, it's a total adrenaline rush and an addict trying to get a pump, right? It's 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 kind of funny what,
3: that you say that, though, and talking about how you originally wrote it with him laughing, because I completely see this character that you wrote laughing at that, like, 100% in my right. head. Like, yeah. he's so unhinged and like, uh, you know, he lives life in this sort of very whimsical, aloof sort of way. I almost feel like right. it wouldn't it, it would bother him to a certain extent, but not to like depress him, <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's crazy to think. But I, I, I really feel that that there's some truth to how you wrote that originally.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I you know, it was it is an unhinged character and it's such an unhinged role and so many scenes. And I think that's part of why Tom's performance is so strong, because he really got yeah, really good in a place, whereas an actor, he's so uninhibited. You yeah, know, and free and out of control. Yeah. And you know, actors will have to work very hard to get themselves to that place. Right. It's a very you know, and a director has to help them, you know, help Absolutely. give them the sandbox to play that way. Um, but you know, we talked about it, Tom and I, you know, we're we're both big fans of Dostoevsky and you know, crime and punishment, right? It's like he does the thing and then he's like, That's all there is, right? And so I think for someone like Jason, you know there's definitely an argument for both for sure. But I think at the end of the day, it makes sense the way Tom and I I allowed him to do was that he would just be disappointed because, you know, Jason always wants more. Absolutely, I can't stop. Right, He's always on to the next thing. So he's probably, it's my thing. I want, okay, what's the next thing (laughs) I can do. Right. And that's just the way his, his brain works. Um, so
3: yeah. And, And speaking of Jason Brown, uh, if, if this is a what if question, if he came across, he's still out there and he came across this film, how do you think he would react at seeing like this moment of his life?
1: You know, a lot of people ask me that. Um, and I always say kind of the same thing. It's tough to say because, you know, when I'm not him, um, I wrote him mm-hmm. and I wrote an interpretation of him. But, you know, uh, Jason Derek Brown's the one person I really never got any access to. Right. Mm-hmm. In terms of. You know, at least I never got an interview with Jason Derrick. I never saw an interview with him anywhere, so you know, everything I have of him is records, testimonies, what people said about him, images, some videos he made of himself. Um, so I definitely saw the image he put himself out there, and I created an interpretation of him that Tom helfrey took and ran with. Um, you know, so there's so much information I had on Jason, um, that allowed that gave me a lot to work with as as a filmmaker, but you know how he would feel i don't know my guess is i think he probably had some notes <laughs> uh, that was a perfect answer <laughs> i think he'd probably have some notes He's like yeah you know i didn't quite uh, you know the party it actually, actually
2: happened like this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'll shoot it for you I,
1: I, I did i did more coke <laughs> or, you know um That's but i don't know i think look i think we captured pretty closely the spirit mm-hmm. of who he was yeah. um you know maybe that's a little arrogant for me to say but you know my my feeling is i think we i think we got to the core of, of who he was and what made him tick and the people who knew him and the people who loved him and how he had this appeal i think you know my my only intention in making the movie was to really show jason tell his story through so many different perspectives right to give you a full 360 degree view of who he was and whether you love him hate him rooting for him, rooting against him, right? Starting one way and ending another, all that's fine. As long as you can come out of this movie, hopefully being entertained, but also understand him. Because I think yeah, that's understand him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the power of what film and film noir can do, right? When we watch Fred McMurray kill Barbara Stanwyck's husband and double indemnity, right? Like we know that's the wrong thing to do. It's just plain wrong. Mm-hmm. There's, There's not that. even a debate about it but we're kind of along for the ride. Why? Because we understand why he's doing it and we get it. And even though it's tricky and you know, you, you kind of, I don't know, for me when I watch double indemnity, I kind of want him to get away and I also don't, you know, I'm in that very much in between and that's the place I like to be in film. You know, I like to be, you know, I don't really like movies where good and evil is clear. And I think that's what drove, what drives us all to crime, crime drama, film noir, Right. You know, the movie that made me want to be a filmmaker ultimately was Dog Day Afternoon. Nice. You know, and I was like, I, I saw it when I was 12. And I just, you know, I like said to my dad after I saw it, I was like, please don't show me any kinds of movies and things like this. I don't want to see like, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> whatever again. Right. Yeah. I want to see a Disney movie again. I want, I want more stuff like that. And, uh, you know, because I'm rooting for Sonny, I want, even though he's putting a gun in people's faces, i Want him to get on that plane to Algeria every time I want. <laughs> I want him and Sal to get on the fucking plane, right. and they don't. They end up dead with, and arrested. And you're like, why? But they and you're like, yeah, that's right. Of course, they can't get on the plane Algeria and live.
3: Whenever, right, right. They, they, they. I that's something wrong. It's uh, you have to pay for it.
1: Yeah, and that's what I think. Great film and film noir does. Yeah, but know?
3: that's what kind of a, what's amazing about your film here is that we have that open ending it feels like a fully complete right. story. And, and a lot of times yeah. I feel like people, when they get to that end of that movie, those true crime movies, and they see the titles at the end and they're like, Oh, that was kind of a letdown. I didn't feel that at all. And I, I wholeheartedly believe it has to do with how you told the story out of order. Um, that made it feel complete. Um, I appreciate you. Cause you that, don't, you, know? you don't feel that in a lot of movies that end that in that similar way.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that, It gets tricky with these kinds of movies because like you said, you know, you want people to be engaged. You want people, you know, but you're telling a true story and you have to dramatize it. And to be clear, this is, you know, I call this film true crime fiction. So, you know, it is based on a true story. There are a lot of, you know, people who have researched the case and stuff have, have commented on how they feel it's accurate, which is a great compliment, but there were things I made up. I have to be clear about that. Um, You know, people I did not interview, like I never interviewed Jason's family as a choice to,
3: you know, that was going to be plans. one of my I'm questions. Like higher. who did you specifically get to yeah. interview? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And I, I, I don't name the people I interviewed, not because, just uh, out of respect because yeah, I just don't out of respect. Yeah. For them. I don't want sure. to, but I didn't interview Jason's family. Um, just to be clear on that. Um, strictly because I didn't want my take on Jason influenced. Um, cause I felt I had a good understanding of him and I didn't want to be tipped one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I tried to look at all of them through a very, you know, compassionate and understanding lens. Um, but the um yeah it was uh you know the ending as you're talking about you know i think look even though now this is really a spoiler section guys (laughs) go see the movie and then come back (laughs) um but you know if you you watch the film and yes he gets away we all know that even if you watch the movie or not you know he's going to be right the boat sinks guys definitely still out there (laughs) even though he gets away with the crime the cost is so dire Mm -hmm. for him because he has completely eroded his own humanity Mm -hmm. and lost himself in the process. And basically has to, you know, some people have called that last sequence a suicide because he's cutting himself off from everybody. He knows he's destroying his identity and he's going off into God knows where to go live under another identity. And
3: and as strongly as you've created uh, this character's uh, story, his ties to his family, even, even the ones that are negative, like with his mother, like or his father in, in a way which is also a positive for him um right it's it, it very you you are completely i mean that's really the lifeblood the only reason why he i think continues to exist in the normal world is because he has all of these uh ties to people right you know even good or bad right but then the way that this does end and you know, very. I'm assuming extremely similar to the real situation is he's he's severed.
2: I kind of wanted to say as well though about the ending. I was really impressed that you did not do attack on ending because I've watched so many sort of true crime based on real event stuff, and at the end when it's unresolved because I, I like to have a resolution and. I get annoyed if there isn't a resolution, even if it's nothing to do with, if it's just a story or or whatever. And I really, I'm so impressed that you didn't finish that final scene and go, this is what I think, you know, this is where I think he is. And I think that was so powerful in itself. And that's what made me actually really go, wow, because you didn't tack on your idea after all this research and it being your film, you didn't tack on an ending of what you, think either should happen or has happened. You just kind of left it as is. Uh, you could, you and we could. didn't
1: do the real picture of Jason either, which uh, some people wanted me to, meet you, but I said no. Mm.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could have easily had, you know, Tom Hardy playing Venom down in Mexico, you know, at the end of this movie. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Um, yeah. Right. So it's, a, Marvel yeah crossover. It's,
3: it's totally a good thing. You know, what Carly's bringing up there, it's it, it ended well. And again, I think it's really due to the structure of how you told the story. Um, all right. So yeah, um, Getting down to it for the people at home, um, when and where are people going to be able to check out American Murder?
1: American Murder is now in select theaters uh, and it will be available on video on demand, digital, on October 28th. You can rent it, stream it on any transactional video on demand platform iTunes Store, Amazon, Google, YouTube, any of them, anywhere you can rent a movie, you can rent our movie. Please do. Please watch. Tell your friends. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Matthew L. Gentile uh, for I will, or I'll update things about the movie constantly or on my website, Um And please come check it out. Watch it. If you like film noir, I think it'll be up your alley and uh, come support an indie film, please.
3: Even though I've already seen it, I'm going to be in the theater. I, I think it's worth seeing in the theater. It, oh, it's, thanks, yeah. it's such a, a cool picture. I don't know any other way to describe it other than it's just cool. It's got a cool factor to it. Uh, it's a phenomenal cast. Um, and it's just very well directed. Um, I really love how you put together the, the timeline of everything. It's, it's just, it's really great. Um, I, you know, thank you so much. I, I do want to say like, I, 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 I need to ask you that question, like what's next for you, but I want to precurse it with, I hope, a feature version of Lawman is in order. <laughs> I thought it was phenomenal. And I loved how you took Lance oh, Reddick and you flipped his sort of a uh, type of character, the stereotype that they put him in and you, you put him in a character that's completely different than what we've really seen him before. And it's just a great, just a great idea for a film uh, also based on a true story. Um, and I, so I really hope that that's something that's going to be in your future at some point.
1: Uh, Well, thank you for saying that uh, about law, man. You know, I would love to turn that, tell that story again. You know, right now they're doing a TV show. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Taylor Sheridan. There's a lot of Bass Reef stories out there. Um, You know, and there is one story in particular that I love about Bass Reef's, uh, you know, at the end of his life had to go. At the end of his career, rather, had to go uh, arrest his own son. Oh, wow. And I always thought that would make it for a really great
0: movie. Yeah.
1: Um, I have a few projects in front of that, but I, I do juggle a few at once. I'm right now working on the screenplay for my second feature, which is called uh, The Socialite. And it is another true crime thriller um, about a socialite who had her ex husband uh, killed in a car bombing in 1996. So oh, wow. if you liked American Murder, I think you know, it's very similar, has a very much of a Body heat, oh. uh, double indemnity, uh, you know, American hustle vibe. So very cool. Uh, I think that one's going to be really fun, and that's my that's my next film. I have you know, following up this one with, and I have a lot of true crime films uh, also that I'm set to do. So that's that's the genre I'm sticking in for now. And, and Lawman counts as true crime, yeah, right? definitely. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't put it past, but it's, you know, it's, it's challenging. Cause yeah, when Taylor Sheridan's doing something, I'm probably going <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he let his show pass and then I can
3: try right. G- in time, oh, in time. Hopefully we see it come I from love you. The story. Yeah. I mean, you did well, such a great, a great job on Lawman, Like the, just the, oh, the short you. you did. It's just, like, I want, I really, truly want to see more. And Lance Reddick is just great in it too. Um,
1: well, that was the same cinematographer, by the way. Great.
3: Show. Yeah. That's, I mean, the, everything about it was just yeah. pitch perfect.
1: Yeah. And she, she's the one who really championed that story. Um, you know, and she wanted to tell that story for years, nice. brought me into her team and then she became my DP. Very cool. So,
3: so, so Matthew. I want to give it some gins. <laughs> right. Some gins? Yeah. We typically, what we do is we rate the films that we watch and instead of doing like, you know, five stars out of 10, we do gin bottles, right? Cause you know, it's the okay. speakeasy and Carly's in love with gin. And so we do a, we do a rating score based yep. on gen bottles, how many Carly uh, has drank and how drunk she is. Um typically that doesn't really hey. <laughs> that doesn't reflect her her love of the film or not, so it's it's all good. <laughs> all right, Carly, you're up you're like up that. first and let's uh let's go to
0: this movie. All right.
2: Good. So you're gonna be impressed with me, Jason, because I'm giving this dramatic music that you in that. <laughs> that's crap but whatever <laughs> 10 gins are gins and do you want to know the reason why I do I really do because I absolutely detest female characters Matthew as Jason will attest I hate writing them I hate watching them I hate catching them <laughs> I hate everything about them because they're so interchangeable and my mind is wired a little bit differently so I don't I can't write them I struggle to read them they're just it's just you could no. But in, in your film, actually, I really loved Jamie. And
0: yeah, it's quite deceptive
2: because she doesn't actually have as much screen time as you think that she does. But all the characters that you created made you feel like you're involved more. Like nobody, nobody was interchangeable to me. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love so much about it. And that's obviously a credit to not only the acting but also the script like no no character could have been picked up took out and thrown away
1: well thank you for saying that and you know credit to Jamie I think goes also to Chantal Vance I think she just did an incredible job yeah yeah. yeah but thank you for saying that and 10 gins okay that's a lot um, I <laughs> gins. come on carly you gotta I'm give gonna me be something. in a coma you gotta give me something I'm to work in a coma. yeah right
2: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're starting out strong man you put me, me in go go. a coma and i won't sue <laughs> yeah. you i promise uh, yeah, how,
1: how am i gonna top 10 gins on the next one okay all right I'll take we'll just it. up our so scoreboard so live up to that. well thank you guys <laughs> thank you so much for for having me for watching the movie yeah. for advocating for it um and you know i i'm gonna keep making noir stuff so i'll have me on hit us
3: up man we'll be here thank you so much for coming on man
1: thank you thank you guys good luck
3: all right folks at home uh, thank you for listening to uh, us babble about uh, American Murder we hope you guys check it out on October 21st in the theater that's where I'm gonna be if not if you can't make it catch it on VOD it'll be available everywhere and uh, keep an eye out for what Matthew does next and until next time bye bye he's looking at you kid thanks for joining us this week on the Speakeasy NoirCast Make sure to visit our website, resurrectionfilms.net, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, The Dark Side of Acting Up, and The Dark Side of Acting Up Volume 2, now available on Amazon. Or you can check out one of our films, also available on Amazon Prime. Be sure to tune in next week for another
0: episode of the Speakeasy Noircast.